You're listening to the Nutrition Awareness Podcast, where we firmly believe food should fuel your life, not restrict it. Each week, one of our registered dietitian nutritionists will motivate and educate you with accurate and reliable nutrition information to help you achieve your health goals using food. Whether you struggle with yo-yo dieting, weight loss, portion control, or simply just understanding the right eating patterns to get real, lasting results, you're in the right place. I'm Dietitian Kate, nutrition expert, ex-cardio bunny turned barbell junkie, and your host for today's episode. Are you ready to dive in? If you have not heard about intermittent fasting, have you been under a rock? Because I feel, Megan, tell me if I'm wrong, everyone is talking about and has been talking about intermittent fasting as a way to eat, change their diet, lose weight for quite some time now. Yeah, it's one of those things that came around and just kind of stuck. I think we did our first, we did the second episode of the entire podcast about intermittent fasting back in 2019. Yeah. And even before that, we had been doing research on it and trialing it for a year before then. So yeah, it's definitely been here and I think it's here to stay yeah. for a while. <laughs> I don't see it going anywhere. In fact, I before you came here to upload the podcast, I re-downloaded Twitter. <sighs> I don't know if this is a good idea or not. <laughs> I know, I know. But I like to know what the people are talking about. You know, it's, people. it's like a town square of dietitians okay. and nutrition zealots and wannabes. Okay. So you get on the town square, you just kind of hear the chitter chatter. And I typed in intermittent fasting and Man, it's very polar. I mean, with everything in nutrition, it's very polarizing. There are people who are like, if you want to lose belly fat, you have to intermittent fast. If it's the only way to do it. And then there's other people that are like, no, no, it's it's disordered eating in disguise. It's anorexia with a glamorous name. Mm -hmm. And so it's always kind of interesting to sift through people's claims. And if you can keep a cool head on Twitter, it's not too (laughs) distressing. Luckily, that doesn't get me fired up. Other things do, but... I was just kind of looking there and I'm like, yeah, no, this is still a conversation. Mm-hmm. I've never gone down the Twitter rabbit hole. I've never, I don't think I've ever had Twitter. Maybe I signed up for it once in 2014 or something like that, but never been on. So remember how in elementary school they had dare? Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's, they need that for Twitter. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> like, don't do Twitter kids. Stay off. Stay off. Go outside. Stay off the twits. But isn't that more for people of our age or older? Like, are kids actually yeah. on Twitter? Oh, or? yeah. Okay. I mean, okay, so I'll tell you this and we'll jump right into it. I did a little bit of nannying for a kid who had a special diet and he was 15, 14. First of all, he's the most woke person I've ever met. Most woke individual. He taught me so many things about the environment and climate and all of these political things that were going on pre-election. I was like, you are so smart. Well, he lived on Twitter and he's Twitter famous. He had so many followers. He was always in all these discussions. I could not believe it. And he had tons of friends that were his age on Twitter. Gotcha. So I would say it's a whole span of age ranges, but it's definitely more of like an intellectual or it's supposed to be kind of like an intellectual space. Mm -hmm. But I have heard it described as like a garbage bin on fire. Mm -hmm. And so I'd say it could be either a nice intellectual study room kind of atmosphere or just that an alley in flames. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, yeah, I think we could probably talk about Twitter all day, but we're here to talk about intermittent fasting. Yeah, baby. <laughs> so, okay, just as an overview, if you guys don't know, what is intermittent fasting? So let's let's get down to that first. I think that people make intermittent fasting out to be this super complicated strategy that requires 19 hours of your day, and that's not at all what it is. It is just paying attention to the number of hours in a day that you are not eating, also known as fasting. So when you go to bed, when you sleep, you are fasting. So even if you're not trying to intermittent fast, you are fasting at some point in the day when you are not eating. So if you go to bed at 9 p.m. and you had your last glass of wine at 8.45 and then you have your first Passed out. breakfast at 7 a.m., that amount of time that you were not eating or drinking anything is technically the amount of time that you were fasting. And so intermittent fasting is just paying attention to the number of hours that you were doing that. Mm. Hence the word breakfast, which is breaking the fast. So that first meal you have or that first caloric beverage you have you're breaking your fast. Exactly. So it's just the simply when you're not eating, just like you're saying. And then I think people can take any concept and market it and make it into a huge thing. Another interesting thing about fasting is it's been a thing for centuries now. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at religions, they fast as part of a religious practice. It's just simply not eating. Exactly. So I think it's become more popular and people have turned it into specific types of diets and made it more complicated. So there's something called the fasting mimicking diet where instead of fasting for a certain number of hours, you're eating like these little tiny boxes of food a couple times a day and it's supposed to mimic having a fast even though you're eating calories. And so I mean, you know what we're going to say about that. You're eating food out of a box four times a day. Like how often are you going to want to do that? Are you going to want to do that forever? No, probably not. So don't try it. It's stupid. (laughs) It's almost just like the coward's way of fasting. It's like, (laughs) I want to fast, but it's too hard. So I'm just going to pretend like I'm doing it. Yeah. And I think there's another like alternate day fast uh, situation where they sell food for that as well, where you eat like 600 calories, 600 to 800 calories on one day. And then the next day you eat normally in quotations where I know if I eat six to 800 calories the day before, my eating normally would be a lot more than what it typically would be. I would be eating everything in sight. You wouldn't be able to talk to me without me eating if I went a whole day with just eating 600 calories. Right, exactly. If I wasn't like sick. And then there's different hours that people segment intermittent fasting in. So one that we commonly see and what a lot of people bring to us when they come in for an appointment is that 16 eight hour fast. I've heard it termed the lean bulk fast. I think somebody coined that, but essentially you don't eat for 16 hours and then you eat for eight hours. And then some people will put more constituents on that saying you can only have two meals within those eight hours, or perhaps it's two big meals and one small snack. There's different ways you can kind of structure it. But I mean, you would do the same if you were eating throughout the day, right? How many meals and snacks you have. But people just like to coin it and market it and sell it to you as the only way or the best way to do it. And I do want to stress that not all the types or ways of fasting are fad diets. Um, I don't want you guys to think that we're talking about this. Like, this is something that you could not ever do without 
getting on that fad diet train. Um, I do think that some of the things that we already talked about, like the alternate day fasting or the fasting mimicking diet that are trying to capitalize on the science that really does support giving your body a break from digestion, um, are to their benefit that they can use those science, those sciences or those studies, but um, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to steer clear of all fasting because I think that we have seen, at least in our experiments and in working with clients, that it can be beneficial if we really work with the person to figure out um, how it's going to incorporate, how we're going to incorporate it best into their lives. Yeah. And if you aren't a client of ours and if you've never heard of us or worked with us before, we talk to our clients very in-depth. Like, we don't just meet someone here that they, they want to lose weight and then automatically say, oh, well, you should fast for this many hours. Mm-hmm. We dig deep and we really want to get a good understanding of how they eat now, where their trouble spots are that might be preventing them from losing weight. But then we also pay attention to how they speak about food, their relationship with food. I mean, if we see somebody has a real disordered eating background or maybe they have a bad relationship with food then we wouldn't be quick to say like oh you know what let's just restrict a bunch of hours of the day where you can't eat right we're not just gonna you know prescribe for lack of a better term intermittent fasting to everyone but then if we get an analysis of someone and we can see oh you're eating from the moment you wake up all day long till you go to bed this could be a really handy tool in the toolbox to help you get used to not filling your spare time with eating and being a bit more strategic and mindful about how much you're eating if that is important for the specific goal you're working towards. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of people, even you know, back in the 80s, I think there was a rule that was don't eat past 6 p.m. There was a popular diet, and that's something that still comes up a lot of times that people ask me about, and they're like, what is it about after 6 p.m.? <laughs> And it's not that it's 6 p.m. It's just that was a hard and fast rule to get people to stop eating food late. Mm -hmm. So when you look at someone's diet and you notice that they're taking in 50, 60, 70, 80 percent of their calories in the evening when they're mostly active all day long, of course, that's going to be at a detriment to your body because number one, you're not fueling it throughout the day. And number two, it can't handle that amount of calories and all of that fuel right before you go to bed. So when you're in bed, when you're sleeping, you're supposed to be resting and repairing. And when you're eating, you're not resting and repairing. Everything's going to work. So your kidneys, your intestines, your stomach, all of those things have to go to work when you're putting food in the system. And so it's not able to rest and repair as it should be. And so it doesn't have to be this rule of don't eat after 6 p.m., but it's maybe figuring out what makes sense for you. So if you find yourself binging at 8 p.m. every night, it's figuring out, well, why is that happening? Because you know, if you're going to bed at 10, you shouldn't be taking in all those calories two hours before you're laying down. It's also going to interrupt your sleep, which we know sleep is just the foundation of all of our wellness. And if we're interrupting our sleep, what it does is it increases your body's internal temperature when you eat before you go to bed. And so that makes it more likely for you to have restless sleep and harder to fall asleep as well. So, While you may look at it as like fasting is a diet, we look at it more as how can we use this science to improve your overall wellness? Exactly. Yeah, I think that the weight loss is one of the biggest things that, you know, people who are proponents of intermittent fasting might be talking about, but there are so many other things that can 
be affected by when you're eating, by what time you're eating, how often you're eating, and sleep is one of the biggest things. There's also studies that show how intermittent fasting can help reduce risk of chronic diseases, Mm -hmm. um, how it can help you manage your blood sugars. I mean, think about it. If you are going to bed at 10 but eating at 8, and what you're eating, probably 8 p.m. is not a bunch of lean protein and veggies, well, you're dumping a lot of, most likely, glucose from carbohydrates and refined carbohydrate sources onto your body at once, spiking your blood sugar, and then you're not burning that fuel. You're not walking around. You're not doing anything. So it's just going to sit in your bloodstream for longer and increase that risk of diabetes. So there's other things that are going to play a role in your health besides just weight loss. And then, of course, if you're consuming large amounts of calories at night for whatever reason, whether it's because you're bored or because you didn't eat all day and you just end up consuming a bunch of calorically dense products, well, then, yeah, that's not going to help your weight loss goals by any means if you're overeating. And, you know, another thing where it's, it's not necessarily magic, it's just nothing good usually happens after 8 p.m. Like, you're not ordering a kale salad at 8 p.m. That's just not happening. And so, by implementing a rule of, hey, I'm not going to eat past 8 o'clock, you're probably not eating the ice cream sundae or the popsicle or whatever it is that you're grabbing out of the pantry that was just kind of something for you to do while you're watching Netflix Mm -hmm. because you've implemented that rule that you want to stay accountable to. So it just kind of naturally eliminates some of those things that you may want to eliminate on your own. Um, But having that type of structure can help you to do that. You know, I had a DAP client, one of our daily accountability program clients. She lost within, we did two months of DAP and she lost like eight and a half pounds, I think. And the biggest thing that she did was just start eating more earlier in the day. And then we had this little motto of, all right, kitchen's closed after dinner. Mm -hmm. So she'd eat dinner and kitchen was closed. That's it. Like shut down for business, can't go back in. And she started eating more during the day when she was able to tap into, I guess, that willpower, you know, if you want to call it that, choose healthier things, be smarter with her nutrition, and then just stop eating a bunch of crap in front of the TV. Mm -hmm. And at first, it was uncomfortable for her. And I think that's one thing that we have to kind of pep talk everyone into as soon as they start breaking that habit of eating after dinner is, yeah, it's uncomfortable. It's you're in the habit of snacking on something. It feels good to sit down in front of the TV with a bowl of popcorn or with a bowl of ice cream, whatever your poison is, right? And I say poison metaphorically. It's not like (laughs) ice cream's actually poison, please. Like I should just say that. But whatever your vice might be, But I think the cool thing about intermittent fasting and one of those underrated benefits is that it teaches you that you don't have to occupy your mind, your hands, your brains, your emotions with food. Mm -hmm. And that means being uncomfortable, but Mm -hmm. you get used to it. And then you learn like, oh, just because I feel like eating or maybe I have a tinge of hunger, it's not an emergency. You don't need to eat something. Your body is just used to being fed at this time. So it's probably going to send you a signal or you might have something in the house that sounds delicious and you just want to taste it because Mm -hmm. it feels good to taste it. But that doesn't mean that there's like a red siren going off and you need to answer the call with food. It's just kind of learning to sit with something that might feel a little bit unnatural and knowing that that feeling, that craving, it's fleeting, it's going to pass. And over time, it gets easier. And I 
it's one way that you can reset your system. So I don't know about you, but I have so many clients who will come to me and they just say, well, I'm just not hungry in the morning, so I don't eat, you know, and I don't eat until one or two o'clock. And then that's when like one to two o'clock happens, they eat something for lunch and then the gate, the floodgates are open from from then on out. And then they continue eating throughout the whole night until they go to bed. And so by just telling someone, well, I think I want you to start eating breakfast in the morning and spreading your intake out throughout the day. And they're like, well, I'm not hungry Mm -hmm. during the day. But by implementing a rule at night of when we're done eating, that can actually kind of reset the system for their hunger levels to start turning back on in the morning because their body is used to holding on to all those calories that they ate the night before, not burning them, and then it's got to burn those during the day. So it's not going to send them a signal for, hey, I'm hungry, give Mm -hmm. me food. So I found that to be a really good reset for people when we're kind of restructuring their day. Mm I think that's a brilliant way to explain it to somebody and kind of help them, like you said, reframe how they see eating and their own eating habits. You know, one argument I suppose I've gotten from a few people is how they say, okay, in the morning when I don't eat and I'm not focused on eating and I'm not hungry, I am more clear. I can think, I can do work, I can focus, and I'd rather just eat like a large amount of food later in the day. And I think that that can work for maybe some extreme cases because there are always extreme individuals out there who don't want to be distracted by hunger. But then on the flip side, it's like, well, if you're eating all this food at night, think about how that's impacting your sleep. What if you ate more fuel during the day and actually got a better night's sleep from not eating so close to bedtime? Could you be just as clear-headed and productive during the day? Or are you drinking a lot of alcohol before bed that's impacting your sleep and impacting your ability to cognitively sort through any of the things that you're doing throughout the day? And I think kind of re-showing that, okay, there's going to be positives to eating more during the day and you don't just have to stick to these habits because you think that they're giving you more of a benefit than they are. And maybe maybe it is true for some people. You know, I know that if I don't eat all day and I'm not distracted by hunger, yeah, it feels kind of good. But then, like you said, the moment I eat, it's kind of like all hell breaks loose and I'm going to eat whatever's inside of me, in front of me. And then I don't feel so good. So it's kind of just like a reversed, you know... I don't know. Can you kind of pick it up on a Yeah, so down? I think, so what I, the way that I explain this to clients is that if you were a hunter and gatherer and you had lots of stimuli coming at you and lots of things that were happening, your body would shut down the signal to go hunt and gather food mm-hmm. because you have other things happening. So when you have a high stress day and you have things that mm. you have to focus on, your body is automatically going to shut down those cues. And so you're not thinking about food. And so because you're not, you, you're not thinking about food, you think you're not hungry. And so as soon as you let your guard down, as soon as you walk through those doors into your house, you throw your purse down, you open the fridge up, that's when the floodgates open. Mm -hmm. That's because your brain is now able to sense those cues again. And now you're sensing those cues in overdrive. And now your hunger is much more than what it should be. And then you end up overeating. Whereas when you're kind of eating on a schedule or you're eating to fuel your body or eating to fuel your day, those hunger signals you're able to better tune into when you start the day with fuel and then your body is going to say, hey, okay, I need more of that. I need more of that. But yes, we always are going to have those high stress days or high stress times, especially like 
what's something like trauma, like you get into a fender bender, like you're not hungry when you get into a fender bender, right? Like it's the last thing that you're thinking about is let me go through the drive through now. Mm-hmm. And that's because your body prioritizes survival and going to hunt and gather and eat food at that time is not important. I think that's a really good way to explain it. It's a lot more clear cut than my way. I'm like jumping through hoops and you're like, no, no, bring it down to earth. But it's true. Yeah. And so I think anyone listening to this is probably picking up that we're a little bit more team intermittent fasting in the evening versus the daytime. Mm-hmm. Not saying it's for everyone. Of course, everybody's different and everyone has their own preferences. But more successful, I, I find that people are more successful when they just cut off the eating later or earlier in the evening and eat earlier in the day. And if you use common sense, well, if you're doing things, even just sitting around thinking and comprehending things, your body's using fuel. I mean, it takes energies to think and do work, even if you're being sedentary physically. So you want to give your body and your brain that fuel to burn up and use. And if you're just sitting in front of the TV at night and then going to bed, you're not actually going to be using that much fuel. So it still makes more sense for people to eat earlier in the day when their body's going to be using the food that they're consuming. I mean, I, I don't see a problem if somebody wants to push off breakfast by a couple hours. They don't need to just wake up and eat. That's fine. But waiting all day and ignoring hunger cues or just forgetting to eat is usually a recipe for a binge. And thinking about it in terms of, like, evolutionary, um, I don't I don't know where I'm trying to use here, but... Um, Caveman. Yeah, so we were, we evolved to eat during the waking hours of the day and not eat during the night. So if we are hunters and gatherers, we're obviously going to be doing that during the daylight hours. And so there are definitely some studies that back this up in terms of like, if you ate an ice cream sundae for breakfast, your body can actually handle that a lot better than if you ate that same exact thing at 9, 10 p.m. in the evening, which is kind of crazy to think about. But that's some of the science that backs this whole intermittent fasting thing is working with your body's natural circadian rhythm. So it doesn't mean like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to fast for 12 hours, but I'm going to start my 12 hours at 1 a.m. and then not eat again until 2 p.m. Unless that's just your natural way I mean if that's how your circadian rhythm is but it's much better to work with the sun as the sun comes up you're eating foods you're hunting and gathering and as the sun goes down you're winding down and your eating patterns are winding down too and I can't quote any studies but I know I've read that we can see differences in people who work night shifts oh yeah they're more likely to gain or retain weight or be an unhealthy weight for their body frame however you want to measure that than people who work a day shift which can be a real struggle because we work with a lot of nurses in fact Mm -hmm. i had a call with a nurse today who works three to noon and how difficult that is for her to kind of you know she does the best that she can but it's hard it's hard yeah there are definitely multiple studies out there that show that if you eat the same exact foods so same exact calories same exact foods within an eight hour window of the day and you compare that to eating that same amount of food over a 15 Mm -hmm. hour window of the day so same calories same foods those people that ate it over the eight hour window actually had uh, less markers of chronic disease Mm -hmm. so their body even though it's the same exact food so if you're not willing to change what you're eating yeah if you're willing to change when you're eating it you could get some health benefits from that yeah and we should say you know because the study says eight hours doesn't mean you have to do eight hours it means you can actually extend your feeding window 
a bit larger than that if eight hours seems a bit too long. Because I know for me, eight hours would be really hard to just mm-hmm. eat all of my nutrition. I, w- I agree. It's not the best for me. But I think me and Megan are both on the same page where if you can condense your feeding window to even just 11 or 12 hours, you're still going to reap benefits by giving your body a 12 or 13 hour break from digestion. Yeah, the benefits start at 12 hours. Mm -hmm. So if you're thinking about in terms of how long should my fast be, the real, like the science that we're looking at says that at 12 hours is when the benefits kind of start. Um, Past that, at 13 hours, you get a little bit more. 14 hours, you get a little bit more. Past 14 hours, there are a couple extra things that happen when you get to 16. But that being said, a lot of them are for like endurance athletes. And like if you're going to go run a 5k the next day, you may be a little bit faster if you fasted for 16 hours. But what we've seen in our practice and working with real individuals is that 16 hour fast is doable for a period of time, maybe even months, but usually people kind of fall back on that. And I think that's okay to to recognize that. And I think We've both recognized that that long fast isn't really doable for us, especially if you have long days. So I think, you know, the 12, 13, maybe even 14 hours is a little bit more doable. But I always suggest that people just start at 12. (laughs) Just look at your schedule, start at 12 hours. Maybe you're done eating by 8 p.m. and you don't eat breakfast again until 8 a.m. and just see how that feels and see if that helps with Another thing that it helps with is digestion, and that is backed by studies. It's backed anecdotally by many of the clients that I've worked with. And so if you do have any kind of IBS issues, constipation, diarrhea, reflux, bloating, if you wake up and you feel bloated, one of the things that could possibly help with that is let's start with a 12-hour fast and see if that helps to alleviate some of those symptoms. Yep, for sure. You know, we had some questions on our Instagram page because we we put on there that we were going to be recording this podcast today. And I think what you just said kind of answered a few of the questions, including how long do I actually have to fast for it to be productive? And again, starting with 12 and inching your way up to 16 if you want to, but 12 hours is where you're going to start seeing those benefits. And then somebody else asked, should you switch it up or always stay in the same range of 16 to 18 hours? And I know that you and I both are not big sticklers on hard set rules and Mm -hmm. saying you must always fast for 16 to 18 hours. I'd say if you want to open up that to 12 to, I can't believe someone's doing 18 hours, but kudos if that's (laughs) that's their jam. If you want to open up that window and give yourself some flexibility, by all means do it. And I believe there's been studies also, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I know that you created the intermittent fasting course and so you're more familiar with the literature, but even fasting just five days of the week can have the same benefits as doing it seven days per week. Yeah, there was a study that showed the the exact same benefits in doing it five days as it would be seven. So that's really convenient for humans because we have what's called a weekend. Yes, (laughs) we're party. (laughs) And some people find it easier to fast on the weekends and some people just kind of push their window a little bit. So like maybe you want to, maybe you're usually done with dinner at 6.30, 7 o'clock, but on Friday night you want to go out with your friends and your reservation is not till 7.30. It doesn't mean don't go go to the reservation eat the food do the things and then maybe you push your window a little bit later in the day because the next morning you're probably not going to be super hungry at 6 a.m anyways and so that's okay but if you don't reach that 12 hour or 13 hour or whatever your goal is you are going to get benefits from every day that you do 
Yep. So it doesn't have to be 100% all the time, just with any kind of nutrition intervention or anytime you're trying to change anything. You cannot be 100% every single day. You got to give yourself some room. And the big thing is, is if you do go a day or two where you don't fast the way you wanted to or you ideally planned on it, fine. So what? Just start over the next day. Just adapt. Push breakfast out a little bit farther or cut off the eating the same time as you normally would. Don't just give up because you messed up one time. We also had someone bring up that they think this is glorifying disordered eating. Which I can totally get where you're coming from if you are following one of those kind of fad diet ways of intermittent fasting. But then my response to that would be, well, is eating, having a scheduled eating pattern intermittent, is that disordered eating? Right. Or I I don't think so. I don't think so either. I think it all depends on how the individual is using it. If somebody does have signs of an eating disorder, of anorexia, and they're using intermittent fasting as a way to, I don't know, maybe maybe it's like a 16-year-old girl telling her mom, oh, I'm intermittent fasting, I can't eat dinner tonight, because blah, blah, blah. Well, sure, in certain cases, it can be disordered eating. But that's why somebody should meet with a dietitian or meet with a nutrition expert or doctor and talk to them about, is this the right tool for me? And a professional can kind of do an evaluation and see, okay, do you have signs of disordered eating? Is this the right protocol for you? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it is disordered eating, but I would say for most people, it's just not eating as often as you normally would. And that's not disordered. And I think most of our clients come to us really wanting help Mm -hmm. developing some kind of a structure. And so when we give that to them, they're able to thrive off of that. And I don't think that causes more disordered eating. I actually think it teaches them how to fuel their body correctly. And they end up feeling a lot better and better able to tune into those cues that their body is sending them instead of shutting them off. I think that's, that's one thing that, you know, people might say, well, what if you're hungry at 9 p.m.? Well, okay, if you're hungry at 9 p.m., we need to figure out why. Mm -hmm. Why are you hungry at 9 p.m.? Was it because you skipped the carbs at dinner because you just had tilapia and broccoli? Like, okay, that didn't fuel your body. You needed to have some carbohydrate there, and that's why you're craving the ice cream at 9 p.m. So when you just say, well, you should intuitively listen to your body to what it wants. Well, if you're eating ice cream every night at 9 p.m. and that's what you're craving, there's a reason why that's happening and your body isn't just sending you the signals for the hell of it. And so I think that can actually cause more disordered mm-hmm. eating because then you're asking yourself like, what the hell is wrong with me? Why can't I stop eating this ice cream every night at 9 p.m.? Like I, you know, I was told that if I just listen to my body, I'll stop craving this ice cream, but that's not happening. And I think, you know, just by implementing some not strict rules, but by figuring out like what might be missing here. Why am I hungry every night at 9 p.m.? And if you're actually hungry, eat something. Like you don't have to stick to this. Like we said, every single day, if you actually recognize, oh, I'm not just craving carbs. Like I am hungry for food. Mm -hmm. I could eat a steak. I could eat jelly beans. I could eat an apple. Like I'm hungry. Then that means you need to eat something. Yeah. I like that point so much about how this actually could be a tool in some cases to help reverse disordered or 
unhealthy eating patterns. So like you were saying, if somebody keeps eating ice cream at 9 p.m. and they don't recognize why they feel so compelled to eat everything in their freezer or their fridge, they might also feel guilty the next morning and want to restrict again. Mm -hmm. So they're just kind of adding fuel to the fire. So they said, oh, because I ate all that ice cream last night, I I have to um, skip all of my carbs. I have to just eat, like you said, tilapia, broccoli, chicken, just drink water all day and not have, you know, try to stave off hunger with water, whatever it might be, then it's just the same thing all over again. Versus if you just learn that, oh, if you actually eat during the day, your body is not going to have such strong urges for ice cream. And if you're still having those strong urges for ice cream, despite fueling your body, well, then it might just be a habit that you need to work on breaking because you're used to eating that late at night and working with somebody and getting structure and kind of having those boundaries or those principles about when you eat can really help you get into a better habit and form eating behaviors that you want instead of just kind of feeling out of control around food. And it's really, it's about what you want. It's about what the client wants. And so if you want to be able to eat ice cream every night at 9 p.m., okay, like let's work that in to what your eating pattern is. And so by no means do we have every client that comes in here, we talk to them about intermittent fasting and put them on a plan. Like absolutely not. It's just a tool in the toolbox Mm -hmm. with some real data behind it that can really help some people. But no, it's not right for everybody. We had a question that said, does it slow down your metabolism? My basal metabolic rate was around 1100. Thanks. Um, I think if you're eating less than 1,100 calories per day and if intermittent fasting causes you to do that, then yeah, it can mm-hmm. definitely slow your metabolism down. Yeah. Absolutely. So, But that doesn't mean that it's necessarily the fasting. It's that you're not giving your body the calories that it needs to keep you alive. Yeah. So it's going to adapt by slowing down how many calories it's burning to keep you alive. It's a machine. It's a smart machine. And I've definitely had clients too that are doing intermittent fasting when they first come in and we recognize in that first consultation that we need to quit. Like this is not, this is actually putting you down the wrong path completely. And so it's, it's not right for everybody. And I think that's what we do that's different from just putting a blanket statement on something and saying, yes, intermittent fasting is the best thing ever and everybody should be doing it. When I was perusing Twitter, I saw a few claims over and over again that kind of grinded my gears. And one of them was the number one way or like the best way to lose belly fat, specifically stubborn belly fat is with intermittent fasting. Kind of using those hot terms of like belly fat. Yeah, there's no research behind that at all. Actually, the weight loss aspect of this is the, um, I I would say has the weakest research behind it. Yeah. I think it's just if it helps you eat less overall or make healthier decisions that are less hypercaloric, I suppose you could call it, then sure, it could help with weight loss. But I think when people focus on all the other benefits that go along with it, that can have more of a profound impact on their overall health. Mm -hmm. And I'll say like, there were definitely times where I have paid attention to the hours that I'm eating and found it really helpful. And then there's been times in my life where I haven't paid attention at all. Mm-hmm. Like for right now, when I'm pregnant, if I want to eat, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to eat whenever. Like. Which speaking of, <laughs> we really wouldn't recommend it for pregnant breastfeeding. Right. If you have hypoglycemia, if you're somebody who suffers from low blood sugars because of a medical diagnosis, or if you're on some kind of medication that's going to make your blood sugars run low, we would want to go slow with intermittent fasting and keep an eye on it and definitely make sure it's clear that you have room to be flexible if your blood sugars are saying like 55. 
eat, right, drink right. some orange juice for Christ's sake. Right. But there are definitely those folks where it's not appropriate, but then there's a lot of people where it can help. Yep. What would you say for somebody who has really high insulin levels? Um, I would say it can, it can definitely help. Yep. I mean, that's what the research says. For sure. We get a lot of people that have polycystic ovary syndrome, mm-hmm. or maybe they're not on medications. They might be um, pre-diabetic, or their insulin's a little bit high. Uh, what insulin is, it's, it's a hormone that shuttles glucose into the cells. So if you eat a bunch of carbohydrates and they're not being utilized for energy, they're going to just stay in your bloodstream and cause high blood sugars. So if you are eating a lot in the evening, specifically refined carbohydrates, because you haven't eaten enough during the day, you're just craving them, blah, 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 then I think intermittent fasting can be a great tool to lower down those markers. Total side note here, I think a lot of people think you get diabetes all of a sudden, like all yeah. of a sudden one day you're just di- diagnosed with diabetes. Um, Sugar. So your pancreas is what secretes that hormone insulin, which is what helps bring those blood sugar levels down. So if your blood sugar levels are constantly high, that means your pancreas is constantly overworking mm-hmm. to secrete more insulin and to try to get those blood sugar levels down. Now, if you are a person and I overwork you, all day, every day for the next 50 years, your body is going to be broken down. It's the same thing with your pancreas. Mm -hmm. So when you overwork that all day, every day, when it breaks, that's diabetes. Mm -hmm. It's not all of a sudden I'm 60 years old, I woke up one day with diabetes. It's 55 years of making your pancreas overwork. And so something like fasting can give your pancreas a break. Yeah. (laughs) Let it clock out for a bit, drink some water, sit on the bench. (laughs) Exactly. But, you know, that doesn't mean fasting is the only way to do that. The other way to do that is also focusing on eating the right types of carbohydrates and Mm -hmm. spreading them out in the right way over the day. So it's not the only way, but it's definitely um, one of the tools in the toolbox, like I said. Yeah. One of the crayons in the coloring box. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Well, we are about to wrap this up. Are there any little things that you wanted to say about intermittent fasting? Any other common questions that you want to address? So we do have some additional information. So on our website, if Mm. you search intermittent fasting, we kind of have um, some things there where like talking about our experience with intermittent fasting get a little bit getting a little bit more personal with it we have a free tip sheet mm-hmm. on starting intermittent fasting and the different types of fasting and then we also have a course about intermittent fasting it's a seven-day course it's super easy to get through you can either watch the videos you can listen to the audio or you can read through the text so if it's something that you've been thinking about and you want more information about that's a really easy way to gather more information yeah Our website is orlandodietitian.com, and to get to the courses, there's a little button that says shop at the top, and you just click courses, and you can find that intermittent fasting course, and you can also search our blog for additional information. And of course, if you have little questions, or if you want to know what it's like to work with a dietitian, or if you just have a little thought that you wanted to share with us, I think the easiest way for people to get a hold of us seems to be Instagram. That's where we get a lot of people who hear us from the podcast reaching out. And we are at nutrition.awareness on Instagram. Just shoot us a DM and Megan and I, we're the only ones on the account. So one of us will get back to you and give you any kind of information you might be seeking. We know that there is a lot of baloney on the interwebs. So if you're feeling confused and need a little bit of clarification, we're your girls. 
And thank you so much for the people who did ask questions yeah. on Instagram at fa- about fasting. I think it really helps us to know, like, what are people thinking right now and what are people wanting to know instead of us just kind of spouting out the information that we think people want to hear. Yeah, exactly. Really. <laughs> we love when you guys respond to all of our Instagram stories. We put a lot of effort into our little Instagram <laughs> stories. It's kind of like, I feel like a little theater, you know? So when people interact, I'm like, oh, okay, someone's, someone's listening. So thank you guys for answering that. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast already, please be sure to because we're going to do more episodes like this where we're answering questions directly from you people. So thank you. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye. Thank you for listening. I hope this episode was helpful. For topic requests or to apply to be a featured guest, please email kate at orlandodietitian.com. Want more nutrition awareness? Check out our blog for recipes, nutrition tips and tricks, as well as product recommendations. Our website is www.orlandodietitian.com. Dietitian is spelled D-I-E-T-I-T-I-A-N. This has been Dietitian Kate, and until next time, keep it real 